0: Back in the building, praise God. Good to see your faces. Amen, amen. All right, well, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to say those things that you would have us to say. We, we thank you, God, that in this moment, Lord, you want to teach us about yourself, about your character. God, you are still very available to us. You have not changed. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we ask that the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same Spirit that was working and hovering over the waters, we pray that that Spirit would be amongst us, changing us, convicting us, moving us, giving us wisdom, and making us more like you. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to give you one more announcement, and that's by way of uh, marriages. If you're married here, married people, why don't you just give a hand clap, married people? That's changed over the years. We used to say that. That used to be a a solo act. All right. Well, we do have, um, well, there's two things we're doing. Um, In this series, we're going to cover a lot with singleness. And, but we felt like the marriage conversation needed a little bit more concentration, especially with the fact that we had about 14 people get married, 14 couples get married over the pandemic. Uh, romance 19 happened and broke out. So, uh, so in light of that, uh, we have a marriage conference coming up October 8th and 9th. You can learn more about it and register for it, all right? It's called The Power of Us. It's The Power of Us. And uh, in that, I'll be walking people through what does it mean to be a united front against the devil? What does it mean to be one in, um, um, in ministry together and in marriage? But more importantly, the content is one thing, but the community is another thing. And what I find most often is that couples don't struggle because they lack content. They, they struggle because they don't have anybody to call. They don't have anybody to relate to. Right? So we want to create that context, and so that will be an atmosphere that we create. We only have 70, <clears throat> 75 slots open, so uh, we want you guys to jump on that registration as soon as possible. You're going to go to powerofus.nyc, powerofus.nyc, and you'll be able to get connected there. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're looking forward to that time, Columbus Day weekend. Well, so... In light of that, for uh, this series is going to be on singleness, romance, <clears throat> dating, and marriage. So we're going to cover all the gamut. And it's—I want to be clear—we're not just doing a series. We're actually going through a book of the Bible. We're going to be walking through the Song of Solomon. Oftentimes, it's not a book that's dealt with because it's dealing with romance, dealing with sex. Even Hebrew boys weren't allowed to read this book until they were 12 years old because the imagery there was so powerfully. Uh, talking about sex and romance. Now, one of the interesting things about this book, we are unsure of who the author is, but it is most likely Solomon. Now, this series is interesting in that the series is about a couple that meet and are into one another, and then they get married, and they're committed to one another. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful to hear about? Yeah, amen, amen. Amen. Solomon wasn't like that, though. Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines, so he wasn't applying what he was talking about, amen? So I think this is why people don't really talk about it, but this is the truth. This is theory for him. (laughs) But the the fact of the matter is, is that we believe that God still was able... I think that one of the things Solomon does is he talks about the life he wish he had. He talks about the singular relationship he wish he had. And when I meet with couples, and I go to premarital with them, I always start talking about their parents. I ask them what kind of marriage they saw coming up. And you know, one of the interesting things I find with couples is oftentimes, and singles, is that really when it comes to dating and romance and sex, the conversation with your parents was kind of like all over the place in a lot of ways because they didn't feel the confidence to talk from their lives so they just kind of left it as this kind of weird conversation, right? They didn't feel like they could speak from application. Well, I I think these buckets that we create, right, like I think there's several areas. I think The dating conversation, sex conversation kind of was in the first bucket of like a a very in-depth talk where your parents got to know you. They want to know how you felt. It was a back and forth. How many of you in here had a very deep conversation with your parents about Romance, sex, marriage. Just raise your hand if you had a really in-depth... All one of you. Amen. All three of you. All right. All right. Four of you. All right. I see that hand. (laughs) My Lord. That's clearly the minority in the room. But the second group, it's interesting, but it was kind of like your mama came to you, and she was like, hey... You're getting older. Your body is, you know, doing things. And people are going to want to touch you in places. And you don't have to let them touch you. You don't have to let them. Okay? Okay? All right. And it was just this mad, awkward conversation where you don't really know what was accomplished. What were we talking about? But in some way, we had this conversation about sex and relationship, right? Then there's this third bucket. And the third bucket was, don't you dare bring no home, no babies, because I ain't got no time in my life to raise no kids. You hear me? Now go do your homework. And the fact of the matter is, my parents and other parents were like, uh, you out there doing stuff? Oh, Okay. My uncles swore I was just like this Casanova. I, I wasn't even, even dating nobody. But they was like, yeah, I know you, I was young. Uh-huh. I was young. You out there, you out, you, yeah, yeah, I know, I know you. I know you're doing your, <laughs> your thing. I'm like, nobody even likes me. Who are you talking about? So so it was like this intimidating conversation with no depth. Just kind of like, don't have sex, don't bring home no baby. That's the one thing you're not going to do, because uh, I ain't got time, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that with all those things, we kind of left without clarity. Meanwhile, the world's got a lot of clarity, amen? world talks in real detail. So over here, it's like, hey, don't be out there doing things, cause, uh, and the Ying and Yang ching twins are like, shake it like a Shaolin guy, <laughs> shake it. They have no problem talking about sex with detail, you know. And so, like, most of us become informed through music. Or our friend's lies, right? Because <laughs> we really never met that girl to go to the other high school. We never met her, but we know that he said he had sex with her. But we don't even know who she is, right? And then, then there was music. And that was our opportunity to kind of hear about things that our parents and other spaces really just didn't feel a comfort level talking to us about. And a lot of those things got ingrained in us and more so ingrained in our subconscious, but we really didn't know what a lot of those things were even talking about. Have you ever thought about a song a decade later and be like, oh my God, is that what Rock the Boat was about? Oh, they weren't on a boat. When I was coming up, when I was coming up, there was a woman named Shirley Murdoch. She had a song called As We Lay. And I'm 10 years old, like, as we lay. We forgot about tomorrow. I'm just laying in my bed. As we let, ooh, hey, hey. You know, I'm like all into it, right? And I promise you, I was 33 years old. And I'm just, I'm hearing the song come on. I'm like, oh, that's my jam. And there's this part where she says, you know, we, have to have you hurry home to your wife. And I was like, oh, it's morning. Oh, that's what they're talking about. They cheating. Oh, and I think that songs kind of made culture simple to us. It made things normal to us. And for me, I just kind of took it all in what we really were dealing with was a void. And I think the beautiful thing about songs, the beautiful thing about poetry, is that it's not intended to be very detailed, it's not intended to have a a start and stop, it's it's imagery that's meant to give you ideas. It's imagery that's meant to kind of give you a a story but not with detail. So a lot of times people don't preach through the Song of Solomon because This is not like Esther or Ruth, where we know the background of these individuals. We just kind of have some imagery. So with that, as we walk through this series, we're going to begin talking about dating in this first sermon from the first chapter. So here we have to have a little grace in that my job this afternoon is not to give you dating rules, it's really just to give you a picture of what God said in this text. We can create an atmosphere to talk about your specific situation, but this is really just imagery. And the imagery is meant to kind of lead us ultimately to see Jesus. Amen? In Song of Solomon, it opens up and it names the song, Song of Songs. Meant to be like the highest of songs, like the holy of holies, song of songs is meant to be the highest of songs. And then in, right in chapter one, verses two and three, it says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. This is a woman who is overwhelmingly attracted to a man Again, we don't know much about her, but we know that she's attracted to him. And you have to understand the way that she says this. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now, she could have just said, let him kiss me. But she says the kisses of his mouth. What's that mean? She's been looking at his lips. Okay. She's been staring at him. She's been in conversations with him, but just looking at his lips. She's been imagining what is it like to be with him. She's wildly attracted to this man. And she's attracted to his body. She's attracted to the way he looks. And then she says, your love is better than wine. And what she is saying is, you have an intoxicating effect on me. When I come around you, things happen inside of me. As one would be drinking, so as one is around you, I I feel an effect when I'm around you. If she wrote a song, she'd say she's drunk in love. You like that? All right. (laughs) So, So this is, and then she says something even more. She says, your anointing oils are fragrant. This brother smells good to me. I like his lips. I like being around him. I like the way he smells. She likes everything about him physically. And this is not just meant to just speak towards the man is going to talk later. It's a duet. The man is going to talk later, but we can also see later that the man is just so attracted to this woman. And you know, guys, it's immediate. You know, ladies, when the guy walks in and he waves at everybody, waves at everybody, then he does this to you. Hey, when he does that, <laughs> something's happening on the inside of him. Right? In the same way, dating someone begins with being attracted to them. Amen? Physically liking the way they look. Now, we can't get into a long discussion about whatever requirements you've created in your heart, mind, and soul. But at the end of the day, it's not when just other people look at him, it's when she looks at him. And she's compelled to be around him. But I want to counterbalance this because I don't think I need to do an in-depth study with you about how to be attracted to someone. Amen? Amen? But what we see in the next part is she says, your name is oil poured out, therefore the virgins love you. Now understand, she's not just saying virgins in terms of young ladies who have not had sex. The term virgin was used of just young women who were unmarried. So he's saying that, man, there's a lot of women who like you. But the reason why they like him is because his name is oil poured out. Not his body. It's talking about <clears throat> his name, his character, who he is as a person. At that time, just one person, A person taking a bath was an expensive thing. So if you took a bath, that was expensive. But if you had oil, that was even more expensive. So when she says your name is oil poured out, she says your name is valuable. It's highly regarded. You know, there are certain names that you say that will bring a room up or bring it down. There's people who, the minute you say their name, it has like a social scent. It has an impact on people. And she's saying that his name, everybody knows the kind of man this man is. And for both men and women, one of the most challenging dynamics when you date is distinguishing character from charm. Because charm is a customized kindness. It's a way to win the moment, win the night, win the week, win the month, win the bedroom. It's about winning you, not keeping you. Charm. Very charming. Charm allows you to have a momentary reputation, but people that know the depth of you know that you're inconsistent. Distinguishing between charm and character is by far the hardest work in dating because you don't have to wonder if they look good to you. They either do or they don't. But you don't know if they'll be with you in your darkest days. The Bible says it this way, It says, listen, listen, Proverbs 31, listen, charm is deceitful. Watch this. And beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What the the mother, essentially, in Proverbs 31 is saying is that, not that it's simple to find someone who is good-looking and charming, but... There's a good chance that you will be so persuaded by the way they make you laugh, by the, by, the, by the way they wear their clothes, by their scent, that you will be so charmed that you lose your focus on their character. That you'll just say, oh, that's okay. That's okay. They just, you know, they just, they just they got angry that one time. That's not a big deal. And you will curb past key areas of their life. And everyone in this room struggles with character. No one is fully who you make yourself out to be. And so you are trying to find someone not with perfect character, but someone who's trying to work on their character. Someone who is admitting their flaws and trying to grow as opposed to defending themselves and staying the same place. Because if they defend themselves now, they'll defend themselves 10 years later. And anyone that you will date Will come into the relationship with issues. Anyone. And so you should not think about this. If you now, this is if you want to be married someday. I don't know if you want that. But if you want a long-term committed relationship under the the, the covenant of the Lord, if you want a marriage, then you ought to not just be committed to learning about you know, how cool they are. But you should really be, honestly, more than interested. You should almost be like, an, like a detective, not like weird, like doing background checks, although, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Listen. But I'm just saying, I, what, I, what I'm saying is, I want you to repurpose the phrase, I want to get To know you. Because that's really what dating should be about. Getting to know you, the real you. No, 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 no. I know, I know. You smell great. I mean, I love, you work there? Okay. The real you. Because everyone brings baggage. I had a friend one time, I picked them up from the airport. They were staying with me for a week. I picked them up, and I was like, what's up? It's like, what's up? What's up? we hanging out. And all of a sudden, we start to leave the airport. And they were like, no, 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 no. We got we to go over here and get my bags. And they had bags. And you know, there, there are some people who stay for a week but pack for a year kind of people. Do you know those people? This was one of them. I was like, this is all your stuff? They're like, "Uh uh-huh. I was like, okay. So now I'm coming out there, you know. You see, because if you want to pick someone up, you always got to go to baggage claim. There's always baggage. You ain't never just picking somebody up. If you're going to be there a while, you got to go to baggage claim. And those are your bags now. There is not going to be an in-depth relationship without character. And you have to be, so the, one of the prayers you ask is God make me discerning. Make me discerning. Because I don't want to be alone. I want to be able to tell people I'm with somebody, but, but don't allow my heart to speed me through a season of my life and run past key milestones, things I should be paying attention to in their life. What are they like with their friends? What are they like with their family? How do they treat their mama? Those kind of things are wildly important because who they've been is who they will be. And so you should be interested in that and you should be open about that. I want to get to know you well, the reason why that is important—why is character important? Because what she says next in Songs, one and five, is she says, "I'm very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem." And it's like she's singing now. It's almost like a chorus. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. I want you to feel the tension of what she's saying. Clearly, dark and lovely is not just a hair care product, praise God, but it is also in the Bible. But when she says, I'm very dark and I'm lovely, at that time, it's a Mediterranean world. So most of the women or men are more of an olive uh, complexion. And so at that time, working indoors was a luxury. It was a picture of affluence. So this is going to blow your mind. The paler you were, the more privilege you have. Amazing thought, right? (laughs) And the darker you were, it was an indication that you worked outside. And if you worked outside, you were most likely sunburnt. And so, the minute a man saw a sunburnt woman, it was an indication she does not come from money. So, when she says, I'm very dark. She's indicating, I've been working outside a long time. But I want you to hear the tension she says. She says, But I'm lovely. Feel the tension. She says, Like the tents of Kedar. Kedar was out in the desert, and tents would be dark, pitch black. But then she says, Like the curtains of Solomon. Solomon's temple would have had the most expensive curtains. She believes she's beautiful, but she struggles to believe she's beautiful. I'm dark, but I'm lovely. And what she ends up saying next is so important. Listen, verse six, do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. So she acknowledges she's been working outside, but then she starts to do something. She starts to tell you, this is why my skin is this way. Some of the things that you notice about me, they come from a place. I have a story, and I'd like to tell you about it. Can you handle my story? My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Listen to what she's saying. When she says my mother's sons, that's we normally call those brothers. But she feels so disowned by her family that she doesn't, say these, she doesn't say my brothers, she says my mother's sons. And what she is indicating is that I was raised with these jokers that never took care of me and they forced me to work outside. Excuse me, Solomon, I come from a broken home. I come from a place where they constantly made me work. And I couldn't be like all these other girls who had a father there, who had brothers to protect them. No, I had to work. And then so what she says is, I was keeping the vineyard, but my own vineyard I haven't kept. And what she's saying is, I was working outside, but I haven't been able to keep my body looking right, I come with some struggles, I come with a story. And When you date someone, you're wanting to get to know them, because you have a story. You are more than your hair and your looks. You are someone that comes from a place of relationships. There's brokenness in your life. There's confusion you've had. And you want someone that's going to be there with you to be able to hear your story, to be able to build you up through your insecurities, beyond your fears and your doubts. Don't gaze at me because I'm dark. She feels the weight of her past. I want to just acknowledge that it is, it is so easy to feel like a romantic relationship will heal a broken past. It's so easy to believe that. And that's why people tend to not look at character, and they edit out the person's flaws almost like they Photoshop them because they just want healing. My mother's sons. No father. I wish I had a man that would protect me, provide for me, make me feel cared for. And so you'll notice, you see the tension that she has. Notice what she does. In verse seven then, she says, tell me whom my soul loves. I like you. I like your lips, your smell. Woo, you are so, I love you. Listen, where you past, pasture your flock, so he's a shepherd, where you make it lie down at noon. Now this is the imagery, that all the shepherds would have the sheep lie down at noon, as the sun is high, so they wouldn't get overwhelmed, and that this is essentially break time, lunch time. And in that economy, during break time, lunchtime, watch this, she says, "For why should I be like who, one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions?" At lunchtime, the veiled women would come to be able to have sex with the men. You see, in that culture, in our culture, there's a tendency to put on less clothes to be more attractive. In that culture, they put on more clothes because they wanted to be mysterious. And so the veiled woman would come, and a veiled woman would be able to be with that man. Now look what she says. Tell me whom I love, where where, where you make it lie down at noon where you pastor your flock. In other words, I want to know where you are. I want to be with you. But she says, why should I be like them? Why do I got to dress like them to get your attention? Why do I got to come to you at noon? You know I care for you. And so she has committed herself to a standard that she will not lower even though she feels alone. You feel the tension of the text? She says, why do I got to be like them? Because in many ways, there's a temptation, particularly amongst women, to feel the need to persuade a man with her body to get his attention. as as opposed to preserving her body in commitment. Sisters, let me tell you this. You, men are very interesting beings. They really are. They, They are, me being one of them. But men, when they feel they have a chance, say a lot of things. And they say committed things to get a momentary interaction with you. And so I would love it if men always set the standard physically. But more often than not, women are setting that standard. And oftentimes it's so that you can feel the depth of attention with that man. And you've got to make a decision. Do you want your body to be, you know, like a bribe? Where I get, you know, if you get my body, now I get your attention? Or do you want your body to be used as a bride? You see, I believe with the Bible, basically the imagery that it shows, beyond all the rules we could create, intimacy should increase as commitment increases. So as someone is deeply committed to you, you become more intimate with them. And so a wedding is the consummation of commitment. Commitment. So therefore, it's the consummation of intimacy. And so for our culture, it's really difficult because everybody moves so fast. And everybody does what everybody else does. But I heard an author once say, if you want what everyone else has, do what everyone else does. But if you want something different, you have to do something different. Keeping yourself, keeping yourself away from sex in a dating relationship does not guarantee a great marriage. In no way, shape, or form. Do you know what it does? It honors God. That's it. And honoring God as a principle then therefore works its way through as the foundation of your marriage all the way up to a lifetime. You've got to make a decision. Are you going to honor God in the hard parts? Yeah. Intimacy is one of the difficult parts to honor God. This is and, 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 and there's so much on the line. Because there's a good chance that you meet that, that, that dude, he's six three, got a six-pack, smells amazing, just, oh man, he's amazing. And then you say, I, but I, I'm waiting until marriage. And there's a good chance they may say no because of your commitment. And that tension means that honoring God will come at a cost. And so it's one thing to honor God and come to church. It's another thing to honor God in that private space of your relationship. I, I often see this too. Um, people come in and um, not that we think tithing 10% is like a rule you have to follow. but well, We use it as a principle. But when people were making $30,000, tithing was like, amen. Amen, I'm gonna tithe. Then they got a raise on a raise on a raise. Then they was making one twenty, huh? It was like I'm a top. Oh, do you know how much that is? <laughs> oh, times maybe I do 0.5 percent, man. That's different. That's a lot. It's a lot to give up. Honoring God always has a cost. Will you honor Him in your intimate areas? Will you honor Him with your resources? Will you honor Him? Is that going to be the foundation? of your relationship. In Psalms 8 and 10, he says, if you do not know, O oh, most beautiful women, the man now speaks, follow in the tracks of the flock. Watch what he says. If you don't know, follow in the tracks of the flock. If you look back earlier, she says, I want to know where you lay your flock down. And she says as well, draw me to where you are. And so he says, If you don't know, follow in the tracks of the flock. And what he's really saying is, If you want me, I'm not a mystery, you can find me. And one of the things this man does is he does not remain a mystery, he creates clarity one thing guys struggle with is clarity. Knowing what they want and saying what they want. Quite simple. Now, let me just say this. Brothers, I'm not going di- to go too hard. Isn't that fun? Because in the relationship talk, we'd be like, ladies, and we'd be like, men, get it together! You know, so... <laughs> I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm not. I promise. But... This is all I'll say. When you, it's no, there is nothing wrong with not knowing what you want. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a part of life. It's putting yourself in the position of seeming like you know what you want when you don't know what you want. You ever go out to eat with your friends? And we all eat, and we get the menu, and the waitress comes over, and she's like, you guys ready? And they're like, go give me some more time. Give me some more time. Cool, cool, cool. Ten minutes go by. You figure out what you want. You know what I mean? Then you got that one friend that's just like, give me some more time. Give me some more time. No problem, no problem. You know what? We can even order without... But then there's that one friend that goes, yeah, I know what I want. And then they're order is like, okay, you want the steak? Okay, you want the burger? Okay, you want the fish? What do you want? They go, ah... Ooh, tell me about your salad. Okay, okay. Ah, and everybody's like, dude, just say you don't know what you want. So we can all be clear, but you're kind of delaying the process now. Because you just should have said, give me time. And here's what I have found. This sounds horrible. Ladies, I'm not reducing you to a menu. Amen? Just, okay, praise God. I've been passionate a little while now. I've discovered things a month later. I'm like, ah, I didn't mean that. All right, listen. I'm just going to put this out there. The internet... Has created so much option, like op, so many options, that it literally almost turns people into menus where it's like, oh, okay, what do I want? I want this, I want that. And I just want you to know, it wasn't really always like that. Like, most people just wanted someone like their mama or their aunt. In other words, when you go to a restaurant and you've never been there before, you'd be like, what'd you get? Okay, I'm going to get what you got then. You liked it. And what I'm saying is, it's okay to not know what you want, but to have the... Like, okay, you want a woman with general character? You don't have to know everything. But at some point, you have to make yourself either a person who is waiting by yourself... Or you want to put yourself to be in a commitment or you're just going to be mysterious and potentially frustrate the woman that you're with. And, they're, and, they're, and listen, if you look good enough, a lot of, a lot of women will, will put up with it. If hmm? you look good, you got, you got a good enough personality, some women will put up with it. But the, the reality is, it's okay to pull back And not put yourself out there if you don't know what you want. You want a woman that loves you. You want a woman that's committed to you. You want a woman that likes you. You want a woman that you can care for. But you won't know if you don't enter in to the risk of relationship. And there's no way around that. It is a risk. It is a risk, bruh. I, I don't know any other way to say that. And so that, and risk comes with the potential of being very hurt. I was doing a dating talk with some UPenn students. No, 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 was it, yeah, no, UPenn, yeah. Ivy League school, very smart people. And they came up to me after my talk and they, they said, so we have some questions. Um." And it's mostly the guys. They're like, so you're talking about talking to a woman. Okay, how do you do that? I was like, well, you just talk to them. And, you know, you, you say something like, um, I like my name is whatever your name is. And then, um, I don't know, you just put it out there that you like them. And they were literally, they were like, 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 like notebooks. They were like, so... What do you do? Like what? Like what do you do if she doesn't like you? You you walk away. <laughs> and yo, they were like, what? So like, I, just just walk up to him, say that, and then just put it out there. Like yes. And that and and listen, that is incredibly courageous. But when you want someone, make it clear you want them by saying, I'd like to get to know you. Now, years have gone by, I never thought I would have to say this, but I think what it is is that, you know, it becomes very difficult to get to know people. And I wanna say this to this generation especially, this is the hardest generation to get to know someone, ever, ever, because of the internet. It makes it really difficult. And you can click on stuff, but you can't click on a relationship. You've got to have courage to just walk up to somebody and say, hey, and they might say no. And they might even be disrespectful. I don't even know what they might do. But I do know you'll never know in your room by yourself. You've got to take the risk. Here, I want you to see what he does In verse 9, he says, I compare you, my love, to a a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. Basically saying, he says, girl, you are a stallion. You are beautiful. He says, (laughs) listen, listen. When he says your cheeks are lovely, he's saying "Your, your makeup is tight. When he says your ornament, he's talking about her jewelry and your string of jewels. He is complimenting her. And the way to a woman's heart is genuine compliments. Genuinely walking up to a woman and say, Sis, you know, I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't mean to bother you, but you just are so beautiful. I see you here every day and just the way you dress and I just always see you smile. Your smile is so beautiful. I just, I don't know, I wonder if I can get your number. Like that. Do that. <laughs> Do that. I'm telling you. Don't compliment her chest or her backside. <laughs> don't compliment that. Compliment the way she dress and the way she looks, her smile, her eyes, and then ask, can I get to know you better? Just like that. That's it. <laughs> and I, I, I wanted to say a last thing. Compliments are more powerful when they're genuine. You see, if you're complimenting her to get her in a room, she can tell. But if you genuinely, you know what? The most powerful compliment is when you really want to let a person know something to the point at which if you don't get what you, if you don't get her, you just want them to know you look beautiful. Did you change your hair? That is beautiful. And if you get into the habit of that, you'll be compelling. So much more to say. Amen. But I want to say um, it is hard. Dating is hard. But I want you to see the end game here. In chapter 2, verse 3, Solomon writes, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, watch this, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was was sweet to my taste. Do you remember earlier when she said the sun was burning her? And now she's saying, she's imagining him like an apple tree, like someone covering her like someone giving her shade so that she's protected and when she's talking about fruit she's talking about character she's talking about who he is and i would surmise that it is for both man and woman that they need someone that they can trust with their story that they can trust their character that they can be protected from this world because life is tragic. Life has so many pitfalls. There's so many disappointments. And you want to come home to someone who you feel like is protecting you, that has character, and that loves you. And in the meantime, while you haven't found him and he hasn't found you, you haven't found her and she hasn't found you, the Bible says in Psalm 91, That he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Sisters, don't wait for a man to be your covering when you already have covering under the Lord. He is your refuge. He is your strong tower. He is the character you long for. Brothers, you'll have more courage to talk to a woman when you've already got victory in Jesus, when you've already got your identity in Christ, when you've already got the covering and the refuge of the Lord, That you don't have to feel like this means everything. I've got to have this. I've got to have this girl say yes to me. And I just speak courage over the men in this room. I speak courage over you. Not to just go date, but to know what you want and to say what you want. To be clear, to define the relationship and not always have the woman have to text you to figure out where are we going. Sisters, I pray for your patience. I pray that you wait on the Lord. So much more to say about dating. So much more. But it is with this that you know that you're going to marry the person and the character. So get to know them get to know who they are. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you tonight that you would keep us from wanting to rush into something. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us the clarity of heart, that you would slow us down, that we wouldn't feel the need to rush into relationship. I pray you would allow us to be intentional. Father, here tonight, we know our stories. We know that you have given each of us a unique story. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would place us with somebody that has the right kind of character to carry our story, to get to know the baggage that we bring to the table. And in the end, Lord, let us find our shelter in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.